Hey friends, welcome to episode 66 of the Fears Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Swift, and I want to thank you for joining me today, and I want to warmly welcome you back if you're a regular listener, and I want to welcome you to the podcast if you are new to Fears Calling. I'm talking with women who are taking action where their passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. And I hope that our conversations inspire and encourage other women to step into their fears calling. I want to also invite you to go to my website, daraswift.com and check out some free resources that I have for you. And I will have all the links to today's show in the show notes there. Pregnant at 15, the course of a young girl's life was completely changed. And then at 16 and pregnant again, she experienced a tragic loss in postpartum depression. Today, my guest is Laura Hughes. She is the author of Choose Zoe, a story of unplanned parenthood and the case for life, and the co-founder of A Movement of Love Ministry. She shares her story of her teen pregnancies, about how God is using all of her experiences in both her joys and sorrows for new purpose in ministering to those who are the most vulnerable. She is a client advocate, ministers to post-abortive women, and she's also really combating human trafficking. So let's listen in as I have a chat with Laura Hughes. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome my friend, Laura Hughes. Laura is a mom of five, a Grammy to 11 grandchildren, which is amazing. She is a client advocate at a pregnancy center. She has helped women through post-abortive Bible study, and she is also a professional photographer and the author of Choose Zoe. And we're going to learn more about that because the name is not what you probably expect. Welcome. Nice to have you on, Laura. Thank you, Doris. I would love if you would share a little bit about your story and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. And we'll learn more about all of these wonderful things. Absolutely. Well, um, I guess the point of interest is always my teen pregnancy. And I'll never forget the night. I was 15 years old and my mom said, I'm going to tell dad that you're pregnant uh, when I pick him up from the airport. So I kind of did what any responsible teenager would do at the time. And I called up my boyfriend and I'm like, come get me. And we went and hid in the church parking lot. And all night long, I kept thinking my dad's going to kill me, although he'd never laid a hand on me. And then I started hearing like a baby is a blessing. And my dad and mom always said that. And so I got brave and I went home and I walked up this really long driveway and, you know, I was so scared. And Uh, We were raised Irish Catholic, so I did the sign of the cross, and then I put my hand on that doorknob, and I'm like, please, God, let my daddy be asleep. (laughs) And I walk in, and there he is across the room, and he's sitting in his little favorite green velvet chair, you know, reading his Bible, and I just burst into tears. And my dad walks over to me, and he tells me, mom said that you're going to have a baby, and he said, I love you. And all I ask is that you pray every day what's best for your baby, whether you um, parent her and we help you or whether you place her in adoptive arms. And he said, now get to sleep. You have school in a couple of hours. And that 
changed the course of my life along with, did I learn my lesson? And no, you know, 50% of girls that are pregnant as a teenager will be pregnant again within 24 months. And I was pregnant just a few months after I had my daughter and I was uh, 16. And that was a really um, tragic ending. I miscarried a little boy at 22 weeks, which is a viable age now in this day and age. But he was uh, born too soon. And uh, he still had a lot of purpose in my life as I went down the road of uh, loss and experiencing postpartum depression and sadness. Um, that really affected me as well. And so in, in one year, I experienced like the joy of, you know, happy motherhood with a bouncy baby girl. And then I experienced the sorrow of losing a child, you know, with a lifeless little baby boy. And these are the things that, that really led me to want to help other uh, vulnerable teens, especially and teen parents. And, um, you know, with John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to still kill and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. And that word life in John 10, 10 in Greek, um, is Zoe. And so it's for me, the teen pregnancy, you know, whether I parented the baby or lost the baby or whether a young lady, um, aborts a baby, we all experience um, heartache in some way. And so it's not just about what happens to this young girl, what happens to the baby, but it's also what happens to her heart. And I really feel like um, that was the moment that I could really embrace Christ in my life. And having that divine eternal life um, really made a huge difference in my life. It very much so impacted me. And it has... Um, Learning about the abundant life, it's inspired me to want to help other people. Um, it's my passion and, and compassion. And it even spills over into my photography business because I photograph primarily schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, my favorite job of the year is when we get to photograph the special needs preschools. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely challenging, but it's also the most uh, rewarding. Parents who have a special needs child, they want the best smile humanly possible. Mm -hmm. And so I have this little yellow duck. Uh, puppet that I wear on my hand. And, you know, with the good Lord's help, I've managed to get some really uh, incredible, you know, photographs. And that really captures parents' hearts because they really care for their children. And so my pro-life convictions are being put into practice even at my job. Mm. Um, I'm involved in ministries at well, but when you can go out into the community and affect the community with kingdom culture, um, yes. You know, that's really neat. So it's like putting my convictions into practice. That is so precious. And I love how you brought that up because it is so important to remember that our faith in Christ and our calling, we bring that flavor of the gospel of Jesus into what we do. And it spills over, like you say, into the lives of others around us. And I love how you told the story about when you were pregnant and how your family supported you. And I know in your experience, you have not uh, always had girls come in to where you are at the pregnancy center, where I'd love for you to share how you got involved in that. Uh, oftentimes, women don't have that kind of support, right? And then 
how do you minister to them in that way? Yeah, definitely. Um, I got involved in the pregnancy clinic. My mother was involved in the pregnancy clinic, which is why they were such supportive parents is they were already in the pro-life um, culture, helping vulnerable women and um, their you know, boyfriends or young partners or husbands uh, and kind of pointing them in the family direction since they're in the family way. Yeah. And um, so my daughter, she felt called to go into uh, the pregnancy clinic. And so we actually joined together. And then um, another daughter of mine also joined as well. Uh, I have a couple sisters that are in pregnancy clinics as well. And so it's it's definitely a family legacy mm-hmm. to um, we really love children and, and we believe in life, you know, from conception until, you know, the natural point of death and after eternally. So um, it's, it does come into play definitely with the pregnancy clinic and, and helping the young ladies there. Um, I'm an advocate. And so I would um, be there at their most vulnerable time when they're finding out that they're pregnant and also uh, getting to see if they're far enough along the ultrasound and, and how, you know, 90% will choose life once they see uh, the little heart beating and, Mm-hmm. Um, get to see their their baby on the image of the ultrasound, and you know I just love photography. So being able to see a little sneak peek into the womb is truly incredible. I imagine too that you know when you take pictures of babies, or I know you're primarily in the schools, but I love those those pictures of the babies where they're they're so creative now, where they you know you lay them on the ground and you put stuff around them, so it looks like they're flying a plane or whatever. <laughs> that, is, that is so fun. I love that. So, it, and it's just amazing how you, your mom started this legacy of volunteering in the pregnancy centers, and then you followed and your sisters, your daughters got involved. And that, that's just so beautiful to have that heart to be able to minister to other people. And like you said, you're there at the most vulnerable time when you know, a, a, probably a young woman um, learns that she's pregnant. And oftentimes these are considered crisis pregnancies because they're facing a very hard decision and they don't know what to do. So, and I know that you probably see women of all ages, right? Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. We've, we've seen women of all ages and due to COVID, there's an onslaught of women coming in because they're not able to get their health insurance or get to the hospitals. So we are standing in the gap for hospitals right now. Mm. Um, you know how even with COVID, how some people haven't been able to get their hip surgeries. Well, pregnant women even aren't able to get the health care that they need, the prenatal care um, in time. And so we've had a lot more women coming in and we've had a couple trafficked girls come in. We've had homeless girls. We had a Wiccan mm-hmm. and we had a young lady that read palms. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have. Yeah, and church kids, like we've had a, a real variety mm-hmm. in the last, you know, six months. It's just been pretty incredible what COVID has brought and um, is really preparing us for also for sharing the gospel when we have people who, you know, are not just without insurance, but maybe don't know anything about Christianity and they're really looking for some kind of hope in a desperate situation. So it's been, um, it's been a real blessing. We're we're doing a course at our pregnancy clinic where we're just kind of honing our skills and, and learning how to better uh, share the gospel 
which is really beautiful. Um, you know, and it's, it's neat to be on the board as well, because I get to see, you know, we just had a new build out and we're, we're getting a new, um, the Storks mobile, uh, where we'll be able to have an updated mobile unit where we can go around and, and do pregnancy tests and counseling and ultrasounds as well. And so it's, it's really neat when you can see that a nonprofit can excel in the time of lack. Yeah. It's really beautiful. You know, that's how, you know, God's hands all over it. Yes. Amen. Yeah. I love how you mentioned that you are putting into place a mobile unit. Cause I know when I volunteered at our pregnancy center, local pregnancy center here, it was difficult sometimes for the clients to get to the center because they might not have transportation or it might be that their husband or boyfriend had the vehicle to go to work and they didn't mm-hmm. have one. So they'd have to take public transportation and, you know, praise God, he put a bus stop right in front of the building so they could come right to it. But so how did you get started writing the book to Zoe? Well, we, um, in my town in Fairfield, California, I was an advocate for the third 12-year-old girl in one month. And, you know, I was 15 and I had really good parents and lots of support. And I just thought 12 years old, you know, you just maybe might have started ministrating, you know, quit playing with baby dolls and here you're going to have a baby, you know, growing. And uh, I was just pretty devastated. So after the third girl and being mandated reporters and calling the police, I went home and I was just overwrought, you know, and I started crying out to the Lord, how can I help? And it was about 3.30 in the morning. I felt this nudging, like, get up and write, you know, educate my people. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And I just got up and I started writing. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit, you know, that's, it was inspired with choose Zoe because I didn't know what that word was. And then to not have publishers change the title is pretty cool too, because often they'll change the title. And we did have to explain what the title meant uh, in the beginning of the book. But I I just never written an article even, because I've been a photographer my whole life. And I just started thinking of all the things that happen in the pregnancy clinic, whether a young girl is raped or whether someone finds out they're, you know, having a diagnosis of Down syndrome in the womb or miscarriage or in even infertility. We don't talk about it in the church and people need help when it comes to foster care and adoption and um, abortion and abortion recovery. And so I just started thinking of all the things that happen with pregnancy and pregnancy loss. And, you know, I was a young girl. And so I wrote this for other young girls and for parents and pastors and leaders to be able to know how to, how to prevent this and also how to handle it and how to treat people and for how the church um, to come alongside the young woman and save two lives at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I was um, kicked out of my parochial school and it, long story there, but you know, at the most important time of my life when religious leaders should have been there for me, mm-hmm. um, they, they shamed me and shunned me. And so I also have a big message to the church and, you know, I love going in. I, a sanctity human life speaker. And I go into churches, um, especially during the few months surrounding sanctity human life. And I love to educate pastors and congregations because, you know, we're no different when it comes to the statistics of abortion, sadly. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that we need to address in the church, sexuality, pregnancy, you know, abortion, even infertility. Like we need to have those 
topics of family and how families come to be. Yes. Amen. We do need to have those hard conversations because as you said, that statistically, even in a church service, there's going to be a high percentage of women that have likely experienced an abortion or a miscarriage or, you know, so there's a lot of hurt and pain and shame. And that is a wonderful ministry that God's given you. The book is beautifully written. I wouldn't guess that you wouldn't have been a writer, you know, because it's very beautifully written. And I love that you tell the stories of women because stories need to be told. And it's important to give voice to those who have experiences and who are hurting because it'll encourage others to be able to step forward and share their experiences too. And I love too that you are boldly going into the churches and speaking about this and that you also speak at the pregnancy center galas where people come and hear all about what is happening, what God is doing in these pregnancy centers. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the sex trafficking and that awareness, which is so important. Definitely. Um, That's the book I'm working on now uh, addresses the rescue and restoration of little girls rescued out of trafficking. And the youngest one is 18 months old and they're between um, two years old and 12 and brings tears to my eyes when I say it uh, because it's so hard to imagine. And it is um, coming into view right now in the news, thankfully, because most people have thought, oh, that's just a problem, you know, overseas, but it's a problem right here in the U.S. And there's so many things that we can do. And I've been teaching also executive directors in our area about recognizing the signs of human trafficking. So it's very important to be able to recognize the signs, no matter if it's a child, it's a little different, or no matter if it's a teenager or young adult. Many times they will have like a barcode on them for property of. So even tattoo artists can be familiar with those. And, you know, even to be able to just slip a slip a card into the young lady's purse or her shoe to let her know that there's a hotline, there's places where she can um, get away and, and survive because it's really hard to ever get them away from uh, the person who is perpetrating the crime. But there's so many things that we can do also, you know, it's even with children, when it comes to children and sexual abuse and trafficking, if you call your um, body parts, the anatomical correct name. So instead of like calling it a Willy Wonka or something, you call it a penis Mm -hmm. or you call it a vagina, that it's proven that the kids that have, they're armed with that language, perpetrators kind of lose their ability to lure them in. They Mm -hmm. find that they're not as easy to groom. Perpetrators are looking more for uh, someone that's very vulnerable. So single parent households and also the foster care system. A lot of those children are the highest vulnerability for, uh, for sex trafficking. And so we can keep our eyes out, especially for little children. You know, if you see an adult with a child at a hotel and, you know, just something doesn't look right, there's no harm in reporting something. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You want to just be able to pass that information along to authorities that will know if something's going on. But, you know, it's, it is a terrible thing, but children are being rescued and we need more aftercare rescue homes. And that's mm-hmm. something I'm dreaming about in the future. And 
hoping that I can really land a big publisher this time to be able to not just raise awareness, but combat and end, you know, the egregious crime on our children. You know, you just kind of have to follow the money. And that has grown also. It's grown like three times during the pandemic because parents have stress. There's more alcoholism at home. There's Mm -hmm. less jobs. Economically, you know, families are hurting right now. And so it's the online sexual exploitation of children. It's called OSEC, Mm O-S-E-C. And that is what has grown exponentially because all you need is a computer and a child. And those can be live streamed and then they're sold. So it's, uh, it seems like an impossible feat, but I believe everything is possible with God. And I know terrific things are happening when these girls are rescued. They're very well cared for. Um, they're getting their childhoods back with, with play and, and dance and music and art and education. They're also getting sociology and you know psychology and the spiritual help too that they need to in order to be able to heal. So it's a, it's a really positive outcome for them. It's a tragedy. And everyone can get involved. So heartbreaking, yet fascinating to hear what we can do to get involved and how to be aware of these things. And I love that you are writing a book to help not only make us aware of these different avenues, also, though, the way that we can be part of the solution. And, you know, getting the word out, like you were talking about, I know I was startled to hear about all the sex trafficking going on, you know, not even far from me and at these big major sporting events. So people are busy. They're busy watching a game or watching a race or watching whatever and not realizing that all of these things are transpiring because because there is a lot of evil going on and it is a spiritual battle for sure. So what is on your horizon besides the book? What is your next step that you're working on right now? Well, um, also, we just finished writing the first draft of a post-abortive curriculum for churches. Mm-hmm. And um, we believe that men and women are healed in the context community and that the healing ministry belongs in the church. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm a co-founder of A Movement of Love, and it's a post-abortive curriculum for churches. Our hope is to have this as a recovery program in all churches. And we've been working quite diligently on it. And already in the first three weeks, we're seeing women come in, you know, feeling a lot of shame and then understanding God's love for them and how that can dissipate some of the anger that they've had. And, you know, we're going into forgiveness this week. And it's just really beautiful. Um, Pregnancy clinics for years have been taking on the post-abortive studies and some clinics or centers are smaller and it's harder to find someone that can uh, teach them, you know, a 12-week program. So we are um, introducing it to the church and we are writing it to go into any church um, locally and globally. And just really excited about that. And it's super fun because I'm writing with, you know, one of my closest friends, Joan West, and, you know, her and her husband have had the church that I go to, you know, for the last 30 years. And she's full of wisdom. And my daughter that um, I was pregnant with at 15, she's super smart. (laughs) She's in mental health. And she was uh, a school psych for emotionally behaviorally disturbed uh, children for about 13 years. And she's going to be going to um, get her doctorate here pretty soon. And so she's really smart when it comes to everything, but especially like clinical work. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually able to put in a lot of tools and make our study something that can get to the heart 
and get to the root of what's going on so that someone can be healed like completely. Because it's been super hard for people to find, you know, just complete wholeness when it comes to um, their abortions and the women that have struggled and men too, you know, it's been really difficult and abortion has affected me. I'm always about protecting children. And my daughter that I'm writing curriculum with, she had a secret abortion when she was a teenager. And oh my God, I'll never forget when she told me, I, I was just in total shock and I knew right away I had to respond. So I just said to her, I'm so sorry that you went through that and we'll talk about it soon. And then I went into a fetal position, you know, and I, I was just grieving. I just felt like I had this heavy weight on my chest. I, I didn't know, like I grieved my daughter's baby who had been aborted. I grieved the baby like I grieved when I lost my son when I was 16. The, the, the grief of losing a child or losing, losing a grandchild, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. As unbelievable as it is to be a grandma and know that great joy, you can also feel that great pain. But my daughter went through healing, and so did I. And now we're together writing curriculum yeah. to help other people. And so I think, you know, Satan might have think he won over something because he did put a halt to my book writing and and my joy for a moment but he did something else to me too because I used to be an advocate for life and now I'm an activist for life an ambassador won't close my mouth Mm -hmm. and so something rose up in me uh, more of a justice warrior type uh, rose up in me that really maybe it was there under the surface but it's it's the power of a redeemed life. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, it's so beautiful how God redeems brokenness and then how he can use all of that, all the parts of our story, even the hard parts, you know, oftentimes in our lives when we've had these things that maybe a choice that we've made or something that someone's done to us, we tend to want to cut it out of our life. Like you edit a movie or something but God can redeem that and it's going to be used in a powerful way. And it's those hard things that we walk through that God redeems that enables us to show his faithfulness, who he is, his character and the beauty of forgiveness and being able to forgive ourselves and forgive others. And, and I uh, experienced a teen pregnancy too. And I did choose life for my baby, but I had support. I had supportive family. And I know not every woman has that. And especially the younger women. And uh, we were talking before the show, how much we have in common because I served at a pregnancy center too, and minister to post-abortive women. And it is important for us to love them all so well, because God does, and he doesn't shame us for the things that we've done. He says, look at what you've done. And, you know, I forgive you, forgive yourself and let's get to business. Let's get down to business and let's see what I can do through you and how you can use the gifts that I've given you. And that's just amazing. And I, and I love that you brought that out about how women may have experienced shame. And it might be something that is their own shame that they're feeling or shame that they've been shamed by others. And God does not want us to walk in shame. And he wants us to be free. And I love that you're writing curriculum 
to help these women because it is, it's a, it's still such a stigma and it's still hard for women to come forward and even say that out loud. And so you're giving women permission to be able to come and find healing right there in the church, which is precious to God, I know, because he wants healthy disciples and whole disciples, and we can really do a mighty work for him in that area. So thank you for what you're doing and that you're doing that with your daughter and your friend. That's, that's really exciting stuff. So I would love if you could share how the listener can connect with you, Laura, where can they find you? Well, I have a Facebook. Um, it's Laura Hughes. I also have a Facebook Choose Zoe a page. I have Instagram as well. Um, but I have a, a website page and it's um, choosezoe.com. So it's C-H-O-O-S-E-Z-O-E.com. And there's a place there where you can um, put a little connection in with me and then I'll have your email. We can email back and forth. Um, there's also an Amazon link there if you want to buy uh, my first book. And um, that would be an honor for me um, if you do read the book. And, you know, I just love to hear um, how it has helped people. And um, I, I really do like people to contact me. So you can contact me, a messenger or something. And, you know, I promise that I'll get back to you. I, I would love to hear your story. And if you need any help, um, my book is full of resources and I love connecting people to resources. So um, almost any help you need in the pregnancy or pregnancy loss arena, I can find you help in your own area. And so I would really love to be able to connect with you and, and, and hear your stories. And the word says that we overcome, right? By the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. And so Jesus brings that blood and we bring our stories and you will overcome by that also, even just in writing, it's so therapeutic. I feel like I have gone through a process of healing and wholeness just through writing. And, you know, when COVID came and shut my business down for the last year, I just said, okay, well, I'm going to use this time for good. And, you know, was able to write the new books. And, you know, it's just like what, what you were saying, Doris, is how God turns everything around for us, you know, for the good, for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I just want to thank you as well for all you've done for life. And, you know, you think about it someday, we're going to get to heaven. We're going to maybe see this little whole little hill with babies all over it, you know, (laughs) of children who, who we were able to make a difference in their lives too. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And I hope that if there is a listener out there right now, who's struggling who has something in their past that they just have not been able to move forward from. Because I don't know that everybody realizes what happens in the aftermath after the choice and how there is healing that needs to take place. And that there's sometimes behaviors and and things going on in their lives and they may not even connect it to what happened, you know, to that choice. And once they're able to get that all out and share that and find forgiveness and freedom, it just, it's just nothing like that. It's just beautiful. So I love that. I love your story and what you're doing in the lives of women. And I love that you're a grandma like me. And yes, (laughs) so it's so fun. So yeah. And so I just hope that if a listener needs some help that they will connect with you so you can connect them to some resources there. And I appreciate you for coming, you know, coming on the show and sharing your heart and your story. 
and we look forward to this next book coming out and I'll have to have you back on the show. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) Okay, friend. Well, it's been just such a joy and a pleasure to have you in. I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Many blessings, Doris. Thank you for listening today. I hope what Laura had to share inspired, encouraged, and challenged you to take some kind of action today and step forward into whatever God is calling you to. And perhaps that's serving in a local pregnancy center. Perhaps it is getting involved in some way in combating human trafficking or maybe ministering to those coming out of human trafficking. There are so many ways that we can use our gifts. And there are so many ways that God equips us to step out in faith beyond our gifting because He equips us. So if we feel ill-equipped, then we're doing something right because it is when it is His hand upon us that we accomplish the things for His glory. And we know that it has to be him because there is no way we can accomplish such things in our own strength. So friend, you are not alone and God has a call on your life. And so I hope you check out the show notes. All the links are there so you can find Laura's book and how to connect with her. And I hope you will connect with me too and check out those links that I have for you for some free resources as well. And I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.